The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Pile of Scrap. And today, I have the pleasure and honor of being at Balconis Resources. I've got Kerry Getter and his son, Richie Getter. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for the time. Thanks for being here with uh, me today. I really appreciate this. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming to visit us on the worst weather day of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, on, John. freezing we're here. Calling for two inches of snow on Monday in downtown Austin. Pretty unprecedented. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, hey, thanks again. So let's, you know, this facility, I toured this facility and we filmed, Sierra did a, a bit on this in 2011 when you had just opened up. And you and I, Carrie, were on the tour today and the incredible changes of growth. And this is a MRF, people. This is the blue bin and industrial recycling takes place here. Um, and I want you, Carrie, to give us a little bit of a background here so people who are listening to this and watch this will get an idea of what is Balcones Recycling? What is it okay. going on here in Austin, Texas? All right. Well, uh, Balcones is a 27-year-old corporation. Uh, we've been in the single-stream recycling business for 12 or 13 years. Um, prior to getting into the residential uh, business, we, are, we, we cut our teeth really uh, on the commercial side of recycling and uh, have been in uh, markets in Austin, Dallas, and Little Rock. Um, uh, prior to uh, the startup of this facility. Um, but uh, this was kicked off about 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win uh, the majority of a contract uh, related to the city of Austin. Uh, at that time, we hoped to be able to process 7,500 tons a month. And in my, uh, in our little myopic view of the world, that was all the material there was. And, and fast forward to 13 years and, and uh, we're processing something in excess of 15,000 tons a month on two shifts. And uh, this site is occupied 24 hours a day. So, Carrie, you've doubled your size, but you didn't double the size of your tipping floor where the material comes in. And did you realistically ever believe you would get that kind of growth? Did you think optimistically or is the success of your growth due to the success of your ability to operate efficiently and, and, and be, be profitable? Yeah. Well, I think, I think you, you have to be able to, speaking of sustainability, you've got to be profitable in this business uh, month in and month out. I mean, we have, uh, some almost 300 families to feed in our company now. So you have to be able to make money. And, and um, uh, we've been very fortunate in that regard. I never dreamed of processing 12 to 15,000 tons a month at this facility. Um, well, you've done it. That's right. So, Richie, you're the next generation here. How long have you been working here in this this facility or with the company? Oh gosh, with the company, hell, I started sorting cardboard at 12 years old on the floor at our very first facility. Hey, that's child labor. Here in- uh, oh. Well, in that, well you got promoted from mowing the yard. Yeah, I got from mowing the lawn. From mowing the lawn, you're right. I, you're right, and went into the facility, started working on my Spanish, understanding the operation. And that was just a summer gig growing up. But uh, honestly, um, you know, really getting into it when I could be on the payroll. I've been on the payroll here for about 20 years and I'm 40 years old. So well, fantastic. So you, 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 I grew up in the scrap metal business. The first piece of equipment I operated was a broom. Okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was what my dad had. Sure. And then I ended up, uh, I graduated to the upstroke bailers when we were bailing back to Sierra. We, Sierra was a agri packaging yeah. company, the original Sierra back company. So we did a lot of burlap bags for right. potatoes and onions. And, and so I, I would operate the upstroke baler as a kid growing up. And to think that I've gotten into the baler business as manufacturing something. Yeah. Uh, I got, all yeah. right. One of the things, okay. Blue bin recycling, you guys handle blue bin recycling. 
And I get asked this all the time. What can cannot go in? So we've run some spots. The big, I'm, I'm going to put it out to you guys. Is the, the pizza box clean the void of food in the plastic? Is it or is it not a recyclable product? If the box is clean, it is recyclable. But it needs to, and, and really, uh, I mentioned this earlier, it's really an issue of, of, of volume. Uh, one or two or three or half a dozen pizza boxes is not going to um, create a problem with a load of cardboard uh, going to a mill. If you had an entire truckload of those boxes, uh, it might it could conceivably create issues with with uh, mold and so forth that 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 grow in the bale uh, as a result of the food waste and makes it less desirable at the mill level and more difficult to clean. What what do people put in the blue bin that is actually recyclable but really shouldn't be in the blue bin? Somebody told me Christmas lights. Okay, yeah. Because it wraps around the yeah. screens in a MRF. No good. Or, your, or wish wish cycling is what we like chains, to call it. Metal chains. Uh, I mean, hoses, okay. Christmas lights. I mean. Okay, so see, see, these are the things. Because people have this perception. It is recyclable. But let's take but, metal and let's take the copper out of a, a, a Christmas light. You suggest what to the people who want to recycle that? There's drop-off centers. There's other programs that this stuff can get commercial programs. So not everything is, quote, recyclable um, within, within a curbside single-stream residential program. And okay. so that's where people don't have a misconception. There's commercial outlets for a lot of these materials. And then there's materials that are only accepted within your curbside program. And, Ooh, yeah, go ahead. and then the city, the city of Austin has a pretty robust collection program uh, for those one-off items like lights and so forth after the holidays. So uh, foam products, polystyrene, polyethylene, propylene foams, packaging foams. I mean, the city of Austin, they take those materials in. If you've got a, a bunch of foam, don't put it in your in your curbside bin. Take it to the drop-off center where they densify it and send it to a home that reuses it. That That's outstanding. You know, here's the thing. Who's education? It seems like there's so many questions out there. People want to do, a lot of people want to do their, 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 job, if you will, do, do, you know, they want to help. They want to recycle, but whose job is it to educate the mass public? Because blue bin recycling, everybody knows this. It seems like I, I, I would find it hard to believe somebody doesn't understand blue bin recycling is fact that it's here today, but where does the better education come to what not to put into and what to, and what not to put into? We, we need to do a better job of coordinating. We? we, the processor, needs to integrate their end markets with what the municipalities and the haulers pick up from the curb. And uh, the municipalities uh, need to be have a vigorous education program around that um, and uh, as well as the as well as third party haulers. So we, we recycle here for 16 or so municipalities. Um, several third-party haulers bring material here. And we have a certain recipe uh, that we take, and we outline that recipe to uh, the, the hauling companies and the cities. Not everyone is compliant with, with your menu, however, uh, of materials. Um, it just so happens that here, uh, you know, we, we only recycle things that we can sell uh, or that have an end use. Uh, so we recycle glass here, uh, plastics one through seven, um, uh, aluminum uh, and metal uh, cans, all types of paper and cardboard. So and uh, uh, Richie, yeah, what else did I, yeah, what did I, I leave say out? Ferrous and non-ferrous metals. Okay, so so you know we were talking a little bit about social media, Richie. Right. If 
your social media at Balcones, let's just say, or anybody in the United States were to get out there and, and, and become more to the to the community and targeting the, that community you're in and say, hey, this is our blue bin. Here's what we want. Here's what we don't want. But now the pandemic comes. And I have talked to a couple of people, and this is, I would like to get your take on this in the pandemic. How has that affected the blue bin? Are, are you seeing higher levels of recyclables? Are you seeing higher levels of trash? Are you seeing higher levels of both? What has the pandemic brought different? And do you think that change when we finally get out of it, the pandemic, do we go back to normal or is yeah. we have a new normal now? Well, our, our commercial volumes have dropped significantly because no one's in the office, more or less. Everybody's at home and we've seen a, a, a larger increase in, the, in our uh, post-consumer curbside material to the tune of about what 25 percent yeah that, that's a significant that's drop that significant. is so that on the commercial side has dropped 25 to 30 percent 25 to 30 percent of volume increase on the curbside program material and out of that 25 and is that weight or 25 percent more of total weight or is that 25 okay total so weight. out of that 25% increase in total weight. How much more contaminants? Right, exactly. So if I had to guess, and you may know the answer to this, our, our contamination rate has gone up. With well, there's no, there's no post, question it's gone up. It, uh, the times. contamination rate for material or the residual that would come out of this uh, processing facility uh, pre-pandemic was 15 to 20 percent per month. Okay. Uh, now it's something on the order of 20 to 25 percent. So it, it has increased. Uh, so, you know, 20 percent of what comes in here um, uh, is non-recyclable. I've been told that one of the issues with the higher contamination rates has to do with the socioeconomics of a particular neighborhood that multifamily units, if you will, that if you want another garbage bin, it, you have to pay for it. Well, a lot of people are out of work, so they don't want that, but they get an extra blue bin for free. So that's where the, the contaminants, that, is that true? Are you seeing that here? Or is that yeah, just different? That's definitely a true statement. And not only here, but all over the a, country. A, across the country. Yeah. Uh, uh, multifamily uh, uh residences typically have a more transient population and um, uh, it's much more difficult to educate a transient population who may be at a particular uh, apartment for six months or a year and then they move on somewhere else either in town or across the country and the 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 type of material that we accept here um, I, is not what I stated earlier about the materials that we process is not a universal truth. There are facilities across the country that plenty of them that don't take glass. We take glass. There are uh, facilities across the country who uh, take juice boxes. Uh, we do not. So it's really a function of uh, regional market conditions and um, uh, really what the capabilities of a particular MRF might be. Well, look, let's face it. This is, this is this probably the state-of-the-art MRF. I'm, I'm sure somebody in the last week is opening up something that might have some new technology. But I know you guys have invested in the best technology out there. Now... You're in Austin and you're in some big cities, so you have the volume. Now, I was asked specifically to bring this question up in a podcast. Small communities all over America, there's so many people who want to do their part with recycling. The rural community, like our factory in Jessup, Georgia, has eight, 9,000 people in the town of Jessup. Okay, now that's a big community. There's smaller ones in Georgia, smaller ones in Bay, outside in Kern County and, and all throughout the United States. And they can't afford a MRF because there's not enough volume. This is a hurdle. Instead of that material going to landfill, how, how is this challenge going to, how are we going to get over this hurdle? How do we get the people who want to recycle in these small communities? How is that going to shift? How are we going to get those materials out of the landfill and into the recycling stream? Well, I, I, uh, you happen, we happen to be in our, 
uh, on our tipping floor when uh, material came in from the city of Temple. Temple is a pretty good example of a small town. It's it's certainly growing. It's got a very um, uh, very active uh, medical community uh, as well as um, uh, education uh, opportunities there. Uh, a large community college that's been there a long time and a lot of folks there who are very conscious of what they do in the community. Given that, even the size of Temple, which uh, the population escapes me at the moment, but let's just say it's about 30,000 people, um, is too small. Uh, for a Murph. For a Murph. They're, they're 70 miles north of here. You've got to have, uh, you, uh, to, you've got to be able to, to assemble a critical mass of material. So, uh, so, 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 not to interrupt, but, but this is the key. Okay, see, 30,000 to me is a pretty, bigger community. Pretty, but yeah, it's it is. And, and the reason why I'm bringing this out is so, so how do, do the people of the community have to realize that doing their part, there's two types of cost, the cost of that material going to the landfill or the type of cost that they're going to have to pay for it to get because transportation of plastic, you're not going to get any weight, sure, the cost sure, alone. Sure. So this is the trade-off. Where, 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 the, where do we go with this? To mitigate some of that yes. is, is the, is the, uh, is the he, he was alluding to some type of a transfer. The transfer, yeah. You know, it's either you, you conglomerate the material in one spot, you have transfer trailers that haul it loose. There's a number of ways to get around that without having a, a, but, a Murph. Yeah, it, so who's going to provide that solution? Is it private industry such as Balconies? In, 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 not yeah, just you, public, but uh, public-private, just like it is here in the city of Austin. That's the same way we, we handle Temple, public-private partners. Is this one of your company's goal is to, to try to solve this challenge? Well, or is I, it just like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this profitably because you got to make money. Exactly. Right? No, we we uh, uh, we want to be able to provide those opportunities to some smaller communities. Uh, the city of Bastrop, the city of Smithville, the city of Lagrange. They all have a, a, a little bit of a different circumstance and. Um, those are small towns. Those are towns that uh, have less than 10,000 people, much like Jessup. And each one of them has a, a different set of circumstances. Uh, the city of LaGrange is probably 50 miles east of here. And uh, uh, then there's Smithville and Bastrop. All of those communities have material that ends up here. And it's not a one-size-fits-all, but none of them have their own uh, recycling facility. Uh, the city of Smith... But they're providing some form of an outlet for people Correct. to drop their material. Sure. Correct. That, they that, are. So, so the community... And, go ahead. No, please. go ahead. The no, city no. council in, in all of those municipalities, as a part of their contract with their garbage service provider... Uh, requires that they pick up the recycling, and in each one of those cases, it's brought to us. Uh, so the community actually is paying for it through the property taxes and what have you, but it's a solution that the people handling the waste, but have to be part of their contract is, hey, you're handling the waste, and that's a fee, but these recycle bins have to get to and get into the recycle stream. Yeah, right. yeah that, that, that's going to grow, it, I, I would I, say. I, I think it will. And the city of Smithville is a unique situation in that they, uh, the city has set aside a piece of property uh, to put a couple of downstroke balers in place. And when they uh, accumulate a truckload of material, we have a, a vehicle that goes and picks it up. So we'll pick up a truckload of, ba of mixed bales of 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 plastics, of cardboard, of newsprint, uh, and, and ferrous and non-ferrous metals generated in the household. So, uh, but they, the city has provided a drop-off center there. And actually that's a model that I think works pretty well. Um, All right. So I'm going to, you are 
the plastics expert, if you will, for this company. And I, I had the opportunity to meet with Wes Carter, and he's a surfer like you. So the oceans and the clean oceans is, you know, it's a passion of his. He started this thing called the New Earth Project. And his eyes got open to recycling because Darren, who uh, I work with in, in our uh, marketing, introduced us. And we started talking and he, he didn't realize what a Murph is. He doesn't know. He, he wants to come visit you because he has a place up in Dallas, the, uh, a facility that does distribution and uh, plastic film. So he's been able because he's been awakened to the, the benefit and not all plastic is bad. So we'll start there. And he's created where his film that he sells to big distributors. There's, you know, the, the, the breweries, the, the, the can, uh, the beverage people, and they get these big pallets in. They're able to take that stretch film off because it's made from a high level, high grade resin. Right. And they go back to the extruder. OK, now that's closing the loop in a positive way from industry working with recycling and working with con consumers. But the plastic challenges and I, I bring this up because the challenges. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Tell me about this. We get this all the time. I mean, in a lot of things, you know, you go to McDonald's and you have your fork and knife, and you get this plastic. How do how how are we going to recycle this? It's recyclable, but not economically, right? And then, so what are you asking? Is this recyclable in a curbside program? Yes. How do we recycle this in a curbside program? That is what That's I'm asking. The question. Well, we can't, and that's the problem. It's because this tends to be what we call small format packaging. So this this will not typically won't even be recovered on the line because of the screen size. So this will end up in a landfill. Correct. Not because you. It, not it, because we want it to go there. We simply can't recover it because of its size and 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 the weight. Because the real estate has any take. questions about what. This kind of go look up small format packaging. Okay. And and it's it's you know uh, from the APR guideline. Um, APR stands for Association of Plastics Recyclers. Good. Um, uh, the standardization of plastics recycling in North America. Uh, if I can remember off the top of my head, the definition of small format packaging is anything less than um, uh, three inches in diameter. I believe. What Two are, and a half, three inches in diameter, which is the, about the average screen size. So anything in a MRF, in a typical MRF now, some are different in other sure. places, bigger, smaller. But on average, um, small format packaging will fall through this. Okay, screens. so you got 60, 70% residential and the, the, it's, it's commercial. In the plastics world, from residential to commercial, what are you seeing that is successful, that we are actually, we, meaning as a nation, you as a company, what are you seeing that successfully that is pulled out of the waste stream, pulled and getting to markets that can be re well, consumed and repurposed? Well, there's a lot, right? Uh, there's a ton of successful in plastics recycling. Example that you're willing to give? Do we want to address commercial or post-consumer? Both. Let's, so let's, let's on go a, on a on a on a from a manufacturing perspective. I mean, if you can collect enough material of homogenous grades, there's typically a home for it. If it's polyethylene, polypropylene, polystyrene, um, PVC, even though PVC is kind of going away and it's not a it's not a highly desired item out there from a commercial standpoint. You know, you talk about uh, 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 plumbing, you know, piping and things of that nature. There's folks out there that reuse that regrind, you know, that have a need for those products. So there are outlets for those things in a commercial setting. Same, uh, but, but in a in a curbside program and in a post-consumer setting, it's different due to the equipment that we have to, you know, utilize to separate 2D from 3D fiber from plastics from metals. And that's the real key moving um, forward with technology and the MRF space is how well can you separate 2D from 3D? And that that's kind of the holy grail. Okay, so in house, typical household products of plastic, milk jugs, uh, detergent bottles. Right. These are very, very recyclable products and people really need to pay attention to this and put that into their blue bin, right? Sure. Yeah. Because there's not only a market, there's a big demand there's a, there's for this. There's a big demand and there's, there's uh, 
many markets. You know, there's not just one or two markets for these commodities. Okay. There's many markets and applications. So what folks need to realize from a curbside standpoint, they really have to focus on diverting those uh, polyethylene uh, bottles, polypropylene containers, and PET bottles. I mean, those have great value. They can be used. Give us an example of, of the products of people listening who might hear they don't know what polypropylene. So, PET bottles, uh, you know, your water bottles, your Excellent. soda bottles, all of, all of those products uh, that beverages are typically contained in a plastic PET bottle. Uh, High-density polyethylene, which is your detergent, a lot of... Uh, 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 a lot of bathroom type products. Okay. Are your shampoos. Like your shampoos. Right, okay. Um, polypropylene, great product, great material to, that can be used in a, in a, in a many, many ways, which is kind of, you know, new to some folks. I hear in some programs, they don't accept the polypropylene in the blue bins, Why? et cetera. That, that's crazy yeah. to me because there's value there. See, this is, this is, have we not done a disservice by lumping old plastics into being evil? Isn't that a disservice to industry and yes. to our public? Yeah. Because no, not old plastics evil. No, no question no, about yeah. it. Yeah. So th th this is, see, this is part of the education process to, in my opinion, of the cultural change that makes it, needs to take place in this country. Okay. Yes, we don't want turtles dying. Okay. Because they got a straw in them. We get that. Right. But I don't see turtles eating Tide detergent bottles because a lot of it's getting into the recycled stream, right? Right. And so addressing that kind of the ocean plastics quick high level overview is that where we're seeing ocean plastics enter into our waterways is the lack of uh, infrastructure and waste handling infrastructure. And whether it's a third world country or, uh, you know, anywhere in the world is where where you see tributaries and trash not being handled properly, that's how it's getting into our waterways and oceans. So is that the laziness of people? Just flat that's out lazy? The lazy, flat out laziness of people. That and in some, and, but in some parts of the world, it's maybe a combination or they, maybe it's not laziness, but they don't have the access to somebody to come by and pick up their waste, you know, at the end of each day or each week or whatever it is. So it's a real issue. Yeah, and no, 100%. These, and a lot of these products that we're seeing, you know, in our in our waterways, in our oceans, are poly made up of polyethylene and polypropylene. They are highly desirable, recyclable products with many homes um, uh, that, that can continue to be reused over and over again. So it's, it's all about creating the infrastructure to collect and reuse those products. And how do you do that in the most efficient way? Uh, manner. Well, Wes, Wes Carter at Atlantic, um, you know, turned me on to this product that I'm showing here now. What it is, it's a cardboard cutout. These are can holders for those who are going to listen to this product. So like you can get Coca-Cola can, Pepsi can, uh, Gatorade, Mott's apple juices. And I did a little uh, video I posted on my social media of a Mott's apple juice bottles that had the plastic rings, you know, the six sure. plastic rings. And that's that's again, that's a real tough product to recycle because it's so small. Right. It's just not profitable. And to, to get it into the proper sort through the equipment you have, it's yeah, very, right. very different. It's a flexible. So, 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 so yeah. they're coming out with this product and to change that because this is a biodegradable plastic. You know, how many years does it take to biodegrade? This is 12 weeks biodegradable made from recycled fiber. And so they're introducing. Board. So this is yeah. going to start coming through your uh, essentially a liner board material right here. This is going to start coming I mean, through your MRF in short order because sure. there's going to be industry is going to wreck. Bottling companies see the benefit of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I already see them in the marketplace today. Um, it's a great Now, is that too small to be recycled? Are your screens going to be able to get through? Are the, the equipment that you have here in this facility going to be able to get this out and put it and send it back to a paper mill. I, I think that's going to probably fall into the prop into a proper uh, category with our cardboard. Yeah, and, guess what? and guess what? We're not in the composting business, but this will break. This can go in a composting bin. That's the beauty of it. So the industry, even if it doesn't come to us, you can put this in your compost in your backyard. 
or take it or put it in your compost curbside collection program. Fantastic. So, so, so we have dual outlet, dual purpose actually for a product. So industry, this is this is where I think industry is starting to the, the light. If they do it before they're mandated to do it, okay. You're seeing bottlers now going. Wait a minute. If I start doing this now, I don't have to suffer the consequences of the mandate, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's in, and, and I think you see people now. Like say in Atlantic packaging and 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 why I'm using because Wes and I just he's so he's like you and and you Carrie you, you guys are passionate about this but it's real it's not just about the money and he's creating a product that eliminates a really difficult product to recycle and a difficult product and a very harmful product if it gets into the environment yeah all right well I want to continue on this because I love this debate old Starbucks. Is that recyclable or is it not recyclable? <laughs> yes. Close Loop Partners, who uh, is a shareholder in Balcones, um, sponsored a competition to develop a new coffee cup. And, uh, um, and there was a... a significant monetary prize associated with that. But this particular cup, and and let's not pick on Starbucks. But, no, I'm but not, can, let's I, not. Let's I, not. Because there's kidding. plenty. There's yeah. McDonald's. There, everybody yeah. has coffee. Yeah, and everybody McDonald's else. and Starbucks. Every A&P and fast were, food. I mean, yeah, they were, both, they were both involved in that initiative to, to develop a recyclable uh, uh, cup. Um, but... Just generally speaking, let me talk about cups and recycling paper in general. A cup is built to contain liquid. In order to recycle paper, it has to break down uh, in a pulper. Okay. And in you water. In water. And <laughs> so those There's two are quite often mutually exclusive goals. So it's there there's a conundrum associated with with these cups that uh, I believe someone will be able to overcome. But um, at this point in time, it, it, it is a difficult uh, it's a difficult item because in a paper manufacturing facility, this will these cups, paper cups in general, uh, will sit inside of a pulper and require much more time to break down than um, so the mill the paper actually it has are. to add a little bit at a time because if they add too much in it, they it's going to ruin their precisely, their, precisely. precisely. So uh, it's going to ruin actually their actually that their efficiency. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, question is a little <laughs> bit beyond me with respect to the paper making side of this, but everyone has had an experience where they've left a paper cup uh, overnight with coffee in it yes. or with uh, some sort of beverage in it. And they'll come out the next morning and look at that and the bottom will be soggy. Yes. Um, but it still hasn't necessarily mm -hmm. leaked through. Right. And therein lies a big part of the problem is the water solubility. Uh, it is it, 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 all right. It this is happen. not necessarily, but it is recyclable. It but but it can't polyethylene coating, which is what this is all about. The, the internal that it's a polyethylene, right? Okay, the it. fiber itself is is, it is, is worth. It, yeah, it's great. It's great fiber. It's really what's the the additives to this cup that make it perform and hold a liquid. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is counterintuitive. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so exactly. guess what? Some folks use polyethylene liner mixed with nylon, if you can believe that, if you've ever... Yeah, and that's going to be... Heard of is that, that recyclable? So, no, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a film coating right. Right, to contain the content. Right. But so, I mean, so, when you're talking about mixing a couple of different resins to make a, line, to make a liner for a cup, it's just not going to go through the, the paper mill process, okay, the pulping so, process. So, so you, you make it, this is, the, okay, back to the pizza box, a little bit at a time. Same oh, thing the, with these, yeah, a little bit. Now, okay, 
you go. And and there are and and there are folks who are recycling those now. It's but it is a tough because they it's are a tougher taking, recyclable. Yeah, but it absolutely. is now getting more. Ability. It's getting more traction. Okay. There's no question. So you get this cup, and you got this nice plastic lid, nice polystyrene lid. Richie, good, good oh, material. By okay, the way. so the, the, again, let's debunk the myths. Whether it is or isn't, but how can we do more of it to where it's profitable? And it isn't a real cost center to do it. So we'd have to measure this. Again, is this going to fit through our screens in the MRF? Maybe, maybe not. But collecting these commercially or through a collection program, you bail these up by themselves and go put it in a grinder. Highly valuable material. Excellent. So, see, these are things now. Is it okay to put it together? like this into the bin and then it hits your screens because it's, and, and this they, will yeah. pop off. Is it, is it going to separate easily enough? Because it's cross, we have cross contamination now. Right. Uh, before it comes to us, that's going to probably go into a truck. And it's going to compact it and will probably uh, separate those two components. But, uh, you know, in the event that it doesn't, you've got, you know, that, that that's an issue in the, in the purest sense of. Well, and this is what, this is what, say it doesn't come apart. This is essentially what becomes our residual. You know, if we can't, if it's not, or, or contamination in an end product, which is what we're trying to avoid. We want to make high purity products. Right. And because a high purity product back to the high uh, quality stretch film because it's 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 made from you know high quality resins it is recyclable easily yeah. and, and you know we want easy recycling we don't want what difficult, difficult consumption because i think that's the big thing so generally speaking john uh the more homogeneous our finished product is a bale that weighs about two thousand pounds and uh made from darn nice balers, I might add. <laughs> and, um, hey, that's a plug for Sierra. <laughs> and and um, um, the, generally speaking, the more homogeneous a product, the greater value that's created. It's, it, it, and the more mixed, the more contaminated, these two mixed together are not as valuable as them as, separated. As them separated. And, and that's generally the case with um, uh, anything that's in the, in the blue bin uh, on the uh, residential side. And it, uh, on the commercial side and distribution centers in large um, uh, manufacturing settings, they have residual waste that is very homogeneous and enough volume that that is treated completely differently than uh, the material that comes in to us in a 96-gallon container. All right. And I'm always, just to your point, I am always making that distinction out in the marketplace because people wonder about flexibles and film. And, oh, it says we can't put this in our blue bin. I say, you're right. You can't put flexibles or your stretch film in the blue bin, but it is recyclable. It's recyclable at the back of the grocery store, the back of the distribution center. And those folks are having it recycled. That's so, see, now that's so a I great message. To, I have to clear that up. But see, that's, that's 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 a message that, quite frankly, I've not heard. Now I'm in the recycling right, industry, right. but but here's the deal: that's fantastic, and we need more of it. All right, I got a question for you guys. Europe, they burn trash. Okay, your residuals that come over here, yeah. RDF, refuse derived fuel. Is that a solution to the waste? Is it something that can happen here in this country or is it just the thought of incineration and the environmentalists never going to come together? I think it's B, the environmentalists and incineration. It's very difficult to get traction with that. And in fact, I know uh, with respect to the city of Austin, uh, I, I won't say never, but probably never. Why, Europe is very progressive. In, in, in their recycling programs. They're very progressive in how they do things. And I'm not talking politically progressive, progressive in right. this. But 
And they're, you know, they're hugely environmentally conscious in Europe. They, you know, they have end of life uh, rules for vehicles and, you know, sure. they're, they're really, really tough on it. But they incinerate with great results. But you don't think it ever going to come in. It's going to be just too different. Yeah, it's just a completely different landscape. All right. Europe and North America. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you've got, you've got no landfill space in Europe. They're light years ahead of us in the recycling. Um, uh, You got policy, they're recycling uh, technologies and what they, and how they manage their ways from a recycling standpoint is, is ahead of what we're doing in North America. So if I had to guess, um, uh, incineration in Europe is the last choice. And it, but they and, get and, energy. And not, you know, it, it is not touted. You know, Europe has to import their energy, their oil. They you know, have a they, different they, set of circumstances. They do, like but said. yet still, there's enough BTU content value in a residual that they can get enough of it to incinerate to create energy. So. I don't know. Again, and I appreciate that response because I would think, you know, if you went into San Francisco and said, hey, we're going to put in an incineration plan here. We're going to take all the refuge that can't be recycled and can't be composted and we're going to incinerate it. I, I think they thought you well, came from and Mars. I, I think yeah. we've got a long way to go here in North America uh, with regards to mechanical recycling, but we can do it. And I don't think that I don't think folks are raising their hands saying Hey, let's, you know, start up another WTE plant. It's no, how do we manage this properly and get it into a mechanical application? And yeah. that's where a lot of this plastics recycling is headed is, is highest and best use. Where's the value? What's going on in the supply chain? How are our consumer behaviors changing? So, Which dictates a lot of what we're talking about. A hundred percent. You know, you know, I mean? you know so, and, and like this product here. Okay. To me, this is exciting. What other, because you know, the plastics, what other product that is going to be out there on the shelves and stores that consumers are going to pick up that you feel is really exciting. That's got a real good capability of being recycled and not being put in the landfill. What do you see? What other products you see coming down the pipe? Oh gosh, I, you know. Just well, give me one if you got it. Uh, well, let me tell you what one of the just kind of overarching things that's taking place. So you've got uh, uh, you've got competing industries. You've got plastics packaging, and you've got the paper packaging interest industry. They they compete against one another. We have received a number of phone calls uh, and inquiries from some some of our multinational customers who uh, are making inquiries about their packaging on the, and they're in the paper packaging business, the Mm -hmm. cardboard packaging business. Uh, I think you're going to see gains made to some extent uh, in the, uh, on, on the paper side of things. And um, uh, people are scrambling right now, scratching their heads trying to figure out which way to run. And um, uh, I think that's, I, I don't know that that's a universal truth, but we've had a, a, a lot of inquiries um, from both the, the paper people and the plastics folks. Uh, and they're trying to create a competitive advantage for themselves. So, Is the competitive advantage solely based on cost anymore? It's always a, it's always part of the problem. But is their competitive advantage being able now to, to tell the public, the consumer, our product that we package or we use comes from post-consumer product and is recyclable? I I, I think I oh, there's no question that that's part sure. of the equation now. And for it sure. used to be almost solely cost related. And, 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 and nobody yeah, and nobody picks it. You you know. 10 years ago, you look, you just get whatever product off the shelf you want. Now folks are being more conscious as, as we are as consumers right. and looking at, you know, marketing brands, what kind of contents and what, oh, you've got 30 versus this is, doesn't have any recycled content. Um, you've got all these marketing initiatives that these groups are doing and getting more involved on, on being more environmentally conscious with how they 
design and put packaging out in the marketplace, which I think matters to the consumer. So that there, it's it's this whole paradigm shift, really, from what we were used to 10, 20 years ago. Right. That's, that's Coca-Cola just made an announcement this week about a new size bottle coming out, a new PET bottle that's made from 100% recycled uh, PET. And so th- th- there's there's a big movement. There's less concern now over cost um, uh, and, and maybe it's more heavily weighted toward uh, uh, how the consumer perceives that product. And the consumer- and what's the delta there, right? Okay, that's a good What's point. What's the delta? If my product's not moving off the shelf and I'm paying less for Virgin over here to produce that packaging and it's not moving, What's the delta? So that's the biggest question out there. Now, am I paying more for secondary resin to make my piece of packaging and my products flying off the shelf? That's the question. What's the delta there? Yeah, well, they, they, they look, they're going to have a lot of focus so, groups. They're going to figure that out. And I, and I guess ultimately hearing this, you know, I think people need to know that industry now, I, I think they're more awake to the fact that environment people make decisions on an environmentally conscious level and what is more environmentally friendly what are they buying that has done something to help create a better cleaner environment yeah that's that's a shift yeah no no question about it so the consciousness the level of consciousness has been raised but I also think, and one of the things we haven't talked about here today is the political climate. That has changed, uh, at least in Washington, D.C. It has. And I, and I think, I think, uh, I think those changes are going to be far reaching and, um, uh, may, uh, encourage some folks to, uh, become more environmentally sensitive. Yeah. I would agree with that statement, you know, and, and I and I've talked about this um, in a podcast about our trade association about look, we have a new administration. We get forget about the party. There's going to be certain things that they want, and they're going to be more, I think, to this issue of environmental consciousness. And you know, hey, people have we always adapt. Everything comes in. But let me ask you something. It just struck me when you opened up all those years ago. Did you have the same conversations with these big packaging companies, these big paper people, big plastic? You didn't have those conversations. No, absolutely then. not. The it was a different. Conversations are completely. It's different completely now. different today. But see, that's got to be exciting for you guys because people are going to you, going to balconies to say, "Hey, how can we better design a product that you can help?" Get out of the waste stream, right? Sure. Now, is that because you guys are considered the best? Well, I don't I think. I don't know. That, I, I want to know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> John, <laughs> thank you. Been, yeah, that's a, that's an appreciative comment there. But uh, I think that we've been doing this long enough that we've really hit our stride as operators and have been able to show some successes over the years really understanding how to operate. And that's what we are through in and throughout our, our, our operators. And, and, and we, we don't have a conflicting agenda. And by that, I mean, we don't own a landfill. If we owned a landfill, our perspective might be different, but we don't. We never have. It costs money for us to haul materials to a landfill. So our perspective on how to handle this entire stream is different than uh, a company who may own a landfill or may uh, be engaged in that activity. We only get paid if we divert material from a landfill. That's the only way we get paid to have material put into a landfill. Exactly. And that's a, that's a huge distinction and and a a real driver. So uh, we've been able to, um, uh, exist uh, for a number of years and make money uh, with that mantra, but it has definitely changed. And we're always looking for ways that we can differentiate ourselves. So being involved on the cutting edge of plastics um, and and understanding what that means is important to us. Um, So that Richie does that this on a full-time basis. And um, uh, 
it's because we we feel like we owe it to uh, our customers and the environment. And there's a, a definitely a increased consciousness related to that to to those issues. And uh, you know, we work to try to differentiate ourselves from from uh, a, a lot of folks, and and we feel like becoming uh, somewhat. Um, uh, able to speak to these issues that that it it, it gives us a competitive advantage. Yeah, and I was just going to say uh, to Carrie's point is that it's not just about diverting the material; it's about how well can you do that. I mean, it's easy. I mean, anybody can go set up a little sort line and get going and start sorting stuff, but. How do you create high yielding products for the supply chain? Well, and that's where the rubber really meets the road with the folks that are in our industry. And uh, quite frankly, if you're going to create a high, uh, high quality yielding product, you're you're always going to have a home for that material. You know, and that's and that's and, and, and that's 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 critical to to our bottom line and how we make money day to day and are able to grow and, and go out in the marketplace and, and do a bunch of different things. All right. I have two quick issues before we wrap up here. Wall Street Journal article, big brands should pay for recycling. The problem with recycling is big brands and the products they make. Kind of back to what we say, the supply. Mm-hmm. This is, this right. is going to gain. So right. these big brands... You know, if they're made to pay, isn't the consumer going to be made to pay? That's always that argument. But from this conversation, I don't want to get into this article too much, but it seems like these big brands are waking up to the fact that they better have a product that is high quality and doesn't damage the environment. Sure. And there's a lot of ways for them to do that. You're smiling. <laughs> and we don't have enough time since okay, we're trying right. to wrap up to go over all those ways. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but I will say what they have to do is they have to co- commit to creating demand. They have to commit to creating demand for PCR to put into their product. PCR if, being yeah, post-consumer recycled resin. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way we get the needle moving on diversion, on getting more material to the bin, not left out willy nilly, humans are lazy, throwing it you know, on the ground or whatever, increasing the diversion rate. Folks like ourselves recovering it and supplying that demand. If there's no demand, it's very hard for us to do what we do and Absolutely. to continue on because okay. at the end of the day, we have to sell our finished goods. Okay, it's, demand it's all a demand supply chain. depends on okay, a steel mill for metals consumes scrap metal. Okay, they're a consumer. Do we need more consumers of plastics or do we have enough capacity in this country for all the plastics to go to and to be reconsumed and repurposed? How much more That's a great question. And we do not have enough reprocessing capacity to reuse everything that we could theoretically. Okay, so therefore they're becoming being collected now. Okay. So where's are these big brands that you got oh, go ahead, finish. No, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So that that I was saying there's a lot of different ways they can invest, right? So right. one is one is creating demand, right? Um within the supply chain. The other is putting investment dollars in infrastructure for recovery. So those are in my mind, those are the two biggest things. Um, there's a lot of other ways out there. There's marketing initiatives. There's education programs. Right. There's all those things. Um, but there's a disconnect between the consumer, the infrastructure to handle all of this stuff once it's discarded, and then the folks that are going to reuse it. See, that's why, you know, the metal industry, uh, scrap metal iron, there's like a four or five brand new mills coming online here in the southern United States and, um, you know, you, you have new core steel, steel dynamics, uh, you have metal, you have U.S. steel, uh, commercial metals, Gerdau, 
you know, you have a lot of people building new steel mills and that's going to create, that creates the demand. Okay. Steel's easy because, you know, anything made out of metal, you know, skyscrapers, the beams, the, the, the rebar and cement, the cars, the appliances. Okay. That's easy. And they've put, they're investing in the consumption of all of that. And there, and to the question, is there enough scrap metal to supply these people? There is, but it's, it's, it's now, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to have, they're going to get their material. Whereas in the plastic side of things, paper, there's a lot of consumption. Okay. They have enough paper mills in this country to consume a lot of the paper product, but plastics is what you just said. It isn't. Right. When are we going to see new plastic mills? I'll call them, you know, extruders. I think one of the, problems with plastics. And Richie, I want you to talk about this for just a moment, is there are so many different polymer types and uh, and, and you're dealing with chemistry uh, as opposed to dealing with paper and fibers and and their ability to bond with, with one another. Okay. So there are Certainly some real challenges there. Yeah. But to your point on with the steel mill analogy, is that there's only so much plastics reprocessing capacity in North America. There's not enough demand. The the demand exceeds the processing capacity. Okay. And so we're, let's just take PET, for example. Okay. The demand is very high. There's only a limited amount of capacity. And guess what? The, The diversion rate is dropping. Nationally, it's way, I think this year it went from like 28% down to 27% of all that's PET. Not the tr- that's not the trend we want. Is Yeah, no, well, it's been between 27 and 30% for How do we get that number up? Remember. Richie, how do we get right. that number up? So, right. So uh, there's a number of different ways to do that. And then the one being create the demand. So the demand is there, but now the infrastructure to reprocess PET has to catch up because there's not enough. But today, we're, the amount of PET being diverted is decreasing. So there's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem, you know, I mean, with it, and, and through the, throughout the whole supply chain. So, you know, when folks come to me and say, how do we get this recycled? How do we get this recycled? I said, why don't we get the PET recycling rate up to 40 or 50% in North America before we start talking about this? So do we, we need more people creating new products. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so where, where is this investment? Done in Europe, the, the PET recovery rate's like 60 to 70%. Okay. We can't get above 30 there's a the cultural. That's years. my cultural. That goes so, back to my cultural. Well, it it, it, it does. And in asking the earlier, I don't recall if we were on the podcast or not, but uh, price is a reflection of need. Uh, how many aluminum cans do you see along the side of the road? Not you many. You don't. You don't because because they're worth something. How many PET bottles and so uh, well? Just too many. Too yeah. many. They're so they're in our. They're in the ocean. It, I, it, it's my contention that. That if the price were higher, there would be a more conservative well, we effort. More to consumption of this, so that's when anybody building new, big, beautiful, just for I don't know what we call them extruder, building a new plastics mill that's going to take this plastic in yep. and create new. We got more investment coming. What is your ear to the ground? Yeah, yeah, I think we yeah, do. I, I, I think, think we do. I mean, we're starting be, to turn the corner because there a the big bit. consumer brands are are, are demanding it, and um, and I've had some uh, of these the big retailers are demanding, and it. I've had some of these hard conversations with them about this very topic, um, and and it's it says it's basically this, you know, guys, you you want to make a change, you want to you know do something for the environment with all the packaging that you put out there you're going to have to get into the recycling business one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, mean, you're either you're going to create the demand, you're going to vertically integrate, vertically integrate, and you're going to process your own, you're going to start buying directly from balconies, reprocessing your own PET, and then putting it into your own bottle. You're either going to create the demand and see what you can get, or you're going to vertically integrate. 
And that means, guess what, guys? You're getting in the recycling business, whether you like it or not. Well, there's several paper people who are. All right, so well, I want... Well, that, that's exactly right. Well, West are... Rock, International oh, yeah. Paper. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. Sunoco. I mean, Pratt's done it. Pratt. They run their own MRFs. Yeah. I mean, there you go. That's the perfect example. So they can feed their own milk. Yeah, I it's, mean, so it's a real kind of chicken or egg thing. Do you... You know, you can't afford to build a facility if you don't have the supply and you can't put the supply together until there's a facility. Yeah. So it's a challenge. All right. Last topic. The Pacific Garbage Patch. Okay. You're a surfer. And um, Wes Carter mentioned him a couple of times. He's a surfer. I can't wait to meet Wes. Wes, if you're out there. Hey, we're gonna give, we're, me, give me a call, shoot me a text sometimes. We got a lot to talk about. No, we do, but okay. So the Pacific Garbage Patch, I have offered, and and look, Sierra, yeah, we have bailers and conveyors. Okay, I've offered that if somebody's willing to put up the money, the big bottling companies, because they have the hundreds of millions of dollars. In it. I even in a podcast with West on Monday or Tuesday, I said, hey, Elon Musk. You are one of the most innovative, creative individuals and one of the wealthiest people in the world, if not the. Come on board. I'll give, I'll put up a baler, a conveyor, and a material handler to feed the material that's netted out of this Pacific garbage patch, bale it, not separate it. I don't think you can separate it on a boat with all of this motion. No. Okay. But here comes the issue. I go, and that's what you tell us. You can harvest it out of the ocean. Now, what country is going to allow that to enter its waters, enter its ports? Because who wants to say, guess what we're importing today, folks? The garbage from the Pacific Garbage Patch. But are we are we importing the garbage or are we creating a solution? Well, again, so I, I'm, with you, you, I'm with you. Richie, I'm with you on the solution, but here's the thing. <laughs> but this, I think private industry can start this cleanup. And we're going to learn as you clean up how to better process it, like everything else. Optical sorters weren't here 30 years ago. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Now they are. So how do we clean out the ocean? So I have said it. And you guys have your ears and you have conversations with some big people. Wes has conversations with big people. You know, I, and, and I use Mr. Musk from, with all respect, from Tesla, because he is one of the most innovative people. How about Bill Gates? You know, how about Bezos from, you know, who who uses a lot of recycled product right. and which is changing, too, because he's, they're getting changing away from some of the product. Supply chain. Yeah. But they're getting away. They got to get away from the products that they ship their products in that is non-recyclable, like right. the, the envelope with the bubble right. wrap. With that's bubble that's, wrap. that's yeah. real garbage. Right. Yeah. And they got to get away from that. Yep. But who doesn't want to clean up the oceans? Right. Right. So I'm in on this. I'm in. You know, and. You people with with your passion and your knowledge how to do this have to be part of this discussion. If it, if, if it ever gets to the point where somebody says, we're going to go clean it up, you guys I mean, have to be part I mean, of that I mean, because John, you know how to do it. If you get in that conversation, we would love to be invited to the party. Well, you yeah. will be. And, you know, and, if, and if you get invited, I want to be, I'm willing to donate. I'm, I'm, I put it out there. I'm willing to give something right now because... You know what? I love the ocean. I love going to the beach. That's where I have my weekend house. Okay? I love it. Yeah. And it's pristine on the Santa Barbara coastline. It really is. They've done a great job. There's The MRF operators or the garbage companies in that area have done an amazing job. Okay? This is a small section, okay, of the coastline. And I don't ever want to see it. But, and so we can get this stuff out of the oceans. You know, Bill, Bill Gates is about feeding people. You know, he's really done protein, uh, far, uh, you know, grow, growing protein to feed people. But who doesn't want a clean ocean? You know, you have a clean ocean, you can feed people. A right. dirty ocean doesn't feed people. Right. You kill marine life. You kill proteins that can feed people from seaweed to the fish. Right. And what else we can start harvesting in a environmentally in proper way? Not I don't want to say friendly, proper. We don't want to we don't want to rape the oceans of its potential, but we want to create it to be a more successful 
producer of, of sure. food. And what, and what you're saying, and, and thank you for your offer on helping cleaning up the ocean. It's going to be a, a collaborative effort. Um, and I think it's, the times are over where everybody's pointing it. Oh, you're doing it. You know, you're the problem of this. You're the problem of that. Everybody's been pointing the finger at each other. It's going to take a collaborative effort to your point. Absolutely. You know, you're willing to put up the equipment. Okay. Who's willing to help retrieve this stuff? Who's willing you know, to everybody, the vessels you're going to use? We need a lot of money. part of the deal, right? You know, and, and own it. And, you know, that's how you can make changes and, and uh, create successes and create solutions. So it's just, it's, folks have to be open-minded to the collaborative effort on, it's not just one person's duty to do this. You got to get five or six people and in groups involved to make it happen. hundred percent. Richie, I agree with you. Absolutely. Carrie? Absolutely. Well, you know what? I am passionate about it. And Wes, you're going to meet Wes. I'm going to hook him. I'm going to make a call. I'm going to put you on the phone with him after this podcast because he's just somebody you want to know because you guys do business in the same state. Uh, he has the same passions you do, and he's creating a product that really that he sells that is highly recyclable. And you may be part of the solution for industrial accounts to, to help in this process. That'd sure. be great. Yeah. That'd so, be gentlemen, great. look, what a great hour that we have spent together right now. I mean, I, I got to tell you, this has been so informational. I think people who listen and watch this podcast are going to gain a lot from this because we as messengers, we in this industry have a message. And I'm my podcast, this podcast, A Pile of Scrap, has grown. And people have asked me to ask you guys this question. And I've asked a lot of these questions that people have asked. And, sure. I, and, I, and I so appreciate both of you giving your time to help educate people to make what we do, make this country cleaner, make this world's environment cleaner, make your industry more profitable, because it, without profit, this doesn't work. Government can't do what you do. They just can't. Right? Right. So I appreciate you. I thank you. And we can look in the camera and we're going to say this has been another episode of Pile of scrap. Pile of scrap. <laughs> this has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.